read an article about QAnon people feeling lost and abandoned after Trump failed to stay in office and there were no mass arrests of blood-drinking pedophile Democrat cabal members like they were promised. And uh, there was one quote from a QAnon believer, I guess. I'm not quite sure what their titles are. (laughs) Um, It really stuck with me. Uh, She said, I'm always worried I'm not good enough. I just feel like I'm inadequate and I'm terrified I'm not going to heaven. And it shapes how I look politically. And that really stuck with me because that describes every self-professed liberal I know. Every Bill, Obama, Hillary, Biden voter I've ever known thinks that they're with the good guys. And everyone who voted for somebody else is a bad, selfish person who cheats on their taxes and hates women and minorities and should be investigated for domestic terrorism. So each side believes they're on the side of goodness and the other side is an existential threat to humanity. But I think where they differ since they basically believe the same thing, where they differ is their concept of heaven. You know, what's what's the prize at the end of being a good person? I would say QAnon girl heaven is probably you're doing the reverse cowgirl on Jesus' lap while watching Nancy Pelosi and the squad and all the other neoliberal baby-eating pedophiles attempt uh, synchronized swimming in a lake of fire. And every meal is Chick-fil-A, and it has no calories. But liberal girl heaven would be different. It's probably more a cross between Sex and the City and Portlandia. It's a place where they're the smartest and the prettiest And every cute guy wants to help them move and not expect a handy in return. Also, every guy is a fabulous gay man who will totally be straight for them whenever they want. Every meal is brunch. And there are no dirty homeless people because Hillary won in 2016 and then rounded up all the poor people and put them to work in kindness camps for their own good. And every day, she gets to beat Trump to death with her Jimmy Choo shoes. That's for women. For men, heaven is pretty much the same, whatever your politics are. Whether you're gay or straight, black or white, Asian. Heaven for men is you've got rockin' eight-pack abs, 10-inch cock, can beat all comers at chess, and a steady influx of new sexual partners. Men really only differ in one fundamental way, and that's whether we prefer virgins or whores. I prefer classy whores. My heaven is not the Muhammad's heaven. 72 virgins would be a fucking nightmare for me. I want 72 classy whores. You know, with stockings and garters and corsets. 72 girls who know what the fuck they're doing. What was also interesting to me is that QAnon girl's stated incentive wasn't to be good or to do good. She was just worried that she wasn't good enough to get into heaven. So her incentive was just to get into heaven. And she's afraid that her, her investment of time and energy into supposedly being a good person like, won't pay off. 
So for her, being a good person is like a job, and heaven is her 401k. She's just trying to not get fired before she can qualify for retirement. I guess hell is getting fired (laughs) and (laughs) not getting retirement and having to work for the rest of your life. When you obsess over whether or not you're a good person, you're really not capable of seeing yourself as a bad person. You become intoxicated on that uh, delicious cocktail of confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance. I'm a good person, so everything I do is good. I'm doing good in the world. You conflate feeling good about yourself with doing good for others. But what is doing good in the world? I hear that a lot. What does that mean? Like, what world? Is it the earth? Is it the entire earth? Or humanity? I'm doing good for humanity. All of humanity or some of humanity? Your, and I'm talking to the liberals I know, your upper middle class, status-sinking, status-seeking, anxiety-ridden, good consumerism bubble. Is that the world? That's your world. Or, now to the people I grew up with, or is the world your working class, low-status-flaunting, fish-stick, double-fisting, imaginary baby-loving, more-is-better bubble? Are these separate things? I mean, we all live in our own little world. So if I'm doing good in the world, is it just my world? Rescuing a dog from a shelter doesn't make you a good person. You get a dog, you give it a home, you feed it, and in return it gives you emotional support. Rescuing a dog is a completely transactional relationship. Rescuing animals is basically prostitution. It doesn't make you a bad person. But it certainly doesn't make you good. When Trump was elected, a lot of my liberal woman clients were freaking out. Uh, And I heard a lot of bold statements about donating money to various causes that Trump was supposedly against. You know, ACLU... Planned Parenthood, which was hilarious because it was clear to me that Trump wasn't for or against anything. Or, you know, rather he's for or against anything that would appeal to his base. He's for himself and he's against anything that's not for himself. Trump doesn't give a shit about Planned Parenthood or kids in cages or the ACLU. You know, he only cares about himself. But it was clear that some of the liberal women I know thought that by donating money to whatever they were donating money to, like they felt they were somehow hurting Trump. They didn't care about Planned Parenthood. They just wanted to like stick their little finger in Trump's eye as if he would notice. They told themselves they were doing good in the world But really, they just wanted to hurt Trump's feelings. And I suspect most of them didn't end up donating any money at all. Because talking about donating money is almost the same as actually donating money. You know, and Planned Parenthood is always going to be a thing. No Republican campaign strategist actually wants to get rid of Planned Parenthood. It's a great issue for them. It's a perfect distraction for the religious right. If Planned Parenthood were gone, or the death penalty, or QAnon, or Russiagate, or any other fake issue, this country would be in danger of discussing something actually existentially threatening, like inflation, um, or the national debt. When I was a kid in the 80s, they would talk about the national debt that was kind of an issue, like a campaign issue. But I guess they decided 
they were not going to stop borrowing money. So let's just stop talking about it because it was upsetting people, the debt. Now once or twice a year, I'll hear the national debt mentioned and how fucking huge it is. And people are like, wow, now it's so big a number, we can't even wrap our heads around it. So we just ignore it. But we're still talking about abortion. My entire fucking life, every election campaign, abortion, death penalty. I guess COVID was kind of a blessing because I didn't really hear shit about that this last election. COVID just kind of trumped everything. No pun intended. A couple of the liberal women I know talked about fostering some of the migrant kids at the border. And none of them actually did it. There's a lot of talk. I have yet to meet any child named Enrique. (laughs) But it's okay, you know? They didn't have to actually foster an unfortunate child. They just just had to care, you know? They just had to care about them from 3,000 miles away. Googling how to sponsor a kid in a cage and then quickly deciding it's too much work is just as good as actually doing it. Plus, like, you don't end up with a weird kid with emotional trauma who doesn't speak English, like, breaking all your fiesta dinnerware, you know? It's a win-win. When you talk about doing a thing over and over, you diminish your drive to actually do the thing. But I don't just want to shit on women. I'm starting to feel bad. It's a lot of fun. But there are plenty of do-gooder men who suck as well. Uh, but I don't know if I've ever heard a man specifically say they're a good person or that I've never heard a man say like they're doing good in the world. Men are typically more concerned with success and equate being successful with being good. And I think men tend to think in terms of being good at specific things rather than just being good in a, in like a vaguely general sense. You know, like a man might say, I'm a good father, or I'm a good husband, or I'm a good boss, or I'm a good team member. And a man can be a good father and a bad husband at the same time, or a good husband and a shitty boss. Joss Whedon can be an amazingly successful showrunner and producer who made iconic television for a whole generation and made everyone who worked with him wealthy and also be a big old meanie who made people cry at work. Ellen DeGeneres is also a big old meanie, supposedly, allegedly. But I haven't read any articles praising her accomplishments lately. All the articles covering the Joss Whedon drama, they all mention Buffy's supposed contribution to feminism and empowerment of women and all that good shit, while also simultaneously calling him a piece of shit. But I haven't really seen that for Ellen. Like, Ellen was huge for gay rights. But this last year, I just see people talking shit about her, how mean she is. I don't really read a lot about, like, how fucking pivotal she was for like just the acceptance of you know gays in America and maybe maybe both her and Joss are just big old meanies but no one who's upset with them has ever been in charge of anything you know when you're the boss sometimes you gotta be a dick has Has an article been written about what an amazing wife and mother the Theranos CEO is? Uh, Elizabeth Holmes, I think that's what her name is. I haven't read one. That would be a fun piece, though. Sure, Elizabeth Holmes defrauded her investors of billions of dollars, but she makes blueberry pancakes for her family every morning. I actually don't even know she's married. Now I'm thinking about it, I think she's not married. It doesn't have kids. So that wouldn't apply to her. I think she had some like boyfriend where they would twist their mustaches and cackle at stealing billions of dollars. And then they would like fuck in the break room or something. 
Uh, also, for men, I think men, maybe more than being successful or being concerned with success more than goodness, I think men are more concerned with just being right. Like, being right about something is way better than being good at something or even being successful for a lot of men I know. A lot of men will happily die poor and alone with no friends or family if just before their last breath, they're proven right for all the world to see. Everything men pursue, sex, money, success, it's kind of a scoreboard that calculates how right you are. Even when men fail at getting those things, it just serves to prove how right they are. Like as men, we'll just flip the scoreboard upside down. You know, like, hey, I knew about Bitcoin in 2011 and I could have bought a thousand Bitcoins, but I didn't because uh, it's going to fail because it's too volatile. Which means, really, if I had bothered to learn about something new that would have possibly challenged my worldview, I would be a multimillionaire right now. But I was too afraid of being wrong. And since I can't be wrong, because I'm always right, Bitcoin is doomed to fail. I've also been thinking the differences um, between men and women's, I guess, drive between like being good or being successful or being good or being right is more might have something to do with the difference between like how we value men and women. Um, there's a pretty, it's a pretty popular black relationship advice guy on YouTube named Kevin Samuels. Uh, I think of him as like the Jordan Peterson of black dating and relationship advice. Uh, meaning he's really good at making unprovable assertions that just stick in your brain, you know, and maybe they are provable, you know, their assertions or their arguments. Um, I'm sure Jordan and Mr. Samuels would say they are, but I have no way to prove them. I don't know. Um, but with both of them, what they say is worth listening to, not necessarily because they're right, um, or that maybe they're right. But also, even if they're not right, their assertions are they are really great for sort of challenging and stress testing your own perceptions of the world. Um, for example, I remember watching this uh, a clip of this interview Jordan Peterson was doing. Uh, I think it was in England, uh, like a BBC type interview. And then I guess this, she's like the British... Um, I don't know. I can't, you know, Connie Chung, some kind of, not Connie Chung, Rachel Maddow. That's what I'm thinking of. You know, she, I guess she's like the British Rachel Maddow, except uh, a little more feminine. Um, and then I guess a lot of feminists or people who say they're feminists don't like Jordan Peterson for some reason. Because uh, he mostly appeals to guys. And if something appeals to, you know, men or young men, it's must be bad <laughs> or something. I don't know. As far as I know, really, all Jordan Peterson says is he just tells young men who need to hear it, make your bed and clean your fucking room. Like, just, you know, just get your shit together. You know, young men who never really had a proper, you know, male figure in their lives or father figure. Um, so she's kind of grilling Jordan Peterson about... Uh, like sexual harassment or sex in the workplace. Because I think Jordan Peterson said something like, you know, obviously sexual harassment, you know, is bad in the workplace. It's also bad. But also you can't get rid of the the concept of sex when you have men and women together. So if you have men and women working in an office together, like sex is going to be a thing because men and women, you know, want to have sex. So this issue of sexual harassment is going to keep cropping up because we're mixing men and women in the workplace. And I don't even think he didn't even like make an assertion saying that 
men and women shouldn't work together. He's just saying, you know, realistically, it's always going to be a thing. And then I guess the the woman interviewing him didn't like it. And she said, well, well, like, why would sex be an issue? You know, we're not there to have sex. We're there to work. And then he just looked at her and he said, well, why are you wearing makeup right now? <laughs> like, and just, you know, then he proceeded to sort of mansplain to her that, well, makeup exists to increase your sexual attractiveness. So if sex isn't a thing in the workplace, why are you wearing makeup? Why are you wearing heels? It's pretty interesting. And she did not like it because he just kind of owned her. Um, Kevin Samuels does the same thing, but more specifically about men and women. Um, and he doesn't necessarily, well, he's black. And then the few clips of his, I saw, um, you know, the people asking him questions, mostly it's just black women asking him like, why can't I get a man? And then he just proceeds to kind of shit on these women. It's kind of, it's really uncomfortable. I can't really watch a lot of it. It's kind of like watching Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, it's funny. And you kind of can't believe what you're seeing, but it's there's, it just makes you cringe. And I can only handle maybe five minutes at a time, and I got to take a break. Um, so anyway, with one of these things Kevin Samuel said when he was just kind of like, <laughs> just being kind of, it's sort of like tough love, I think, is what he thinks he's giving. Um he was, I, I think it was a podcast, like a video of a podcast with these three black women. And then I guess they give dating advice and then they had him on as a guest. And they they were kind of in the same vein of like kind of challenging him. You could tell they didn't like him much or they didn't like what he had to say. Um, and basically the gist was like, well, all three of us are like successful women we each make easily six figures. Why can't we get like a high status man basically? And then, you know, he just told them that realistically men don't give a shit how much you make. Like you think that's an asset for a high status man, but he's basically saying like a high status man makes his own money. He doesn't care if you make money or not. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't even want your money. The men who want your money are low-status men. They don't even really want you. They want your money. So no matter how much money or, you know, whether you own a business or you think you're successful, like, you know, the kind of man you're looking for doesn't give a shit. And these women didn't like that, <laughs> to hear that. Um, and I don't know if that's true or not. I know for me, I don't care if a woman has money or not. It's makes no difference to me i'm not trying to get her money so she can either have some or not i don't really give a shit um and then and i guess he kind of you know he's not trying to be mean to them kevin samuels and then he said something really interesting that has stuck with me that he was trying to explain himself and try to soften the blow because these women were getting visibly upset. But he ended up just making it worse because <laughs> his attempt to like explain what he meant, they didn't like it. But what he said was that the difference is, is in how we value men and women as a society. He said that uh, women are born with value and men have to earn it. And I found that was really interesting. Um, and they did not, those women... Those lovely, successful, beautiful black women did not want to hear that shit either. <laughs> and uh, it makes sense. I'm sure a lot of the women I know would not like that statement, especially coming from a man because, uh, you know, middle class women, especially, they're obsessed with the concept of the patriarchy and they see men getting all the top spots in government and corporations. And uh, that's a fair observation, you know, from a status obsessed upper middle class career woman who's competing for those top spots she sees those spots she wants those spots she thinks she's better than the men who are in those spots so she sees that those men didn't earn their way to those spots which may or may not be true but i think like 
what those women are ignoring are the billions of men who did not get those top spots. There's only a few guys in those spots. So you see men in those spots and you think, well, men have it easy. When maybe. I don't know. I've never been a woman. I don't know how hard it is to be a woman. But I don't have those spots. So I can't look at I can't look at you know the the overwhelmingly majority of men who are CEOs or CEOs who are men. I can't look at them and say, well if if I were a man, I would have that spot. But every woman can say that. That's kind of an easy thing to say. Well, they're, they're, only men get those spots. But if it weren't that way, I would be there. Like, would you? <laughs> I'm a man. I'm not there. And I don't feel bad about it because there are literally billions. Literally 7.4 billion men who are also not in those spots. And what I really liked, or what I really thought was interesting with a Kevin Samuels guy, was not so much that women are born with value. I don't know if that's true. It might be true. Um, But that men have to earn value is definitely true. Because all of us 7.4999 billion men at the bottom are disposable. Because civilization doesn't need most of us. Which is why it's overwhelmingly men who get sent to war throughout history or men risk their lives working in mines or up on cell towers or power lines, building skyscrapers and dodging storms just to pull some fucking fish out of the ocean. Like those activities are how we earn our value. And even menial, you know, menial, non-life-threatening jobs like waiting tables. I waited tables at a TGI Friday's for a year when I was college after I got out of the army. And that shit is fucking work. And not only is it work, it's demeaning work. Because you know that as a man waiting tables, you are not earning value. You're earning some money, but you're not earning personal value. Like a man who rides around all morning on a garbage truck has more value than a man waiting tables. One, because women wait tables. Women don't really ride on the back of a garbage truck. And I don't know that a lot of women would. There might be one or two. There's one or two women doing all sorts of things that men do, and that's cool. But it's not really a job for women in general. Mostly because women don't want to do it. TGI Fridays is a shit, valueless, demeaning job. Um, And for a man waiting tables, like, we will treat it as a means to an end. For me, it was for extra cash while I was going to college. Most of the other men, they were either on parole, you know, serving up your loaded potato skins. So it was a step up for them. They were earning value because they just got out of fucking prison. Or for some other men, it was one of their many side hustles. They were just kind of those shady guys who were like going after all these like get rich quick schemes. And then waiting tables was like the base where they could have like a guaranteed income while they were flirting with other pyramid type schemes. But most of the men waiting tables had some kind of plan to increase their overall value sometime in the future. And then waiting tables is just kind of a means to an end that didn't necessarily have value to itself. But some men did not, you know. I, 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 and I didn't really think this way at the time, but looking back, I could see the bartenders at the TGI Fridays. They were, they'd kind of given up. <laughs> they, they kind of talked about going back to school or something, but they were never going to. Uh, they just worked till three in the morning till the Fridays closed. And then they'd, uh, take all their tip money and they'd go play poker and just lose it all to each other. (laughs) And then, uh, rinse repeat the next day. Uh, and then, you know, 
half the servers at this place were women. And the women I waited tables with, they had different priorities, you know. They were, most of them, career servers who were always going to wait tables. They were all young, single moms. And they had different different motivations than the men. They had, like, a different drive. They were usually the highest tip earners every night because they were earning money for their kids. Also, I don't know, I think what... I think people just tip women more, maybe, in general. Um, not that I'm complaining. I don't give a shit. Tip women more than men. Men should not be waiting tables. Uh, but the women, they weren't really trying to earn value for society, though. They weren't, they weren't trying to, like, make it. And they weren't really trying to earn value for their own self-worth. Like, they already had that. You know, they had value. They were moms. That's where they got their value from. Um, and occasionally, you know, single college girls would rotate in and out. And they might work a few weeks because they thought they wanted a job. And then they realized that waiting tables is hard and demeaning labor. Uh, and then they'd quit to work at the Gap. You know, they'd make less money, but it's easy. Because they didn't really need the money. They didn't need to earn value. They already had value. You know, they were college women. No one does shit work if they don't need to. Uh, I quit. I quit that shit after a year when my student loans kicked in. Because I was already earning. I had already earned value from my time in the military, like personal value. I didn't really have to prove anything anymore. And I was continuing to earn, you know, value in college, or at least I felt that way at the time. Turns out they just stole my money and did not increase my own personal value. Um, but I kind of decided, you know, I'd rather go into debt than do demeaning hard labor that was really lowering my value to myself, which in hindsight was probably stupid. I don't know if that's a great reason to get into even more student debt. Um, instead, I got into defense contracting, you know, which objectively was less honest and more morally bankrupt than serving up loaded potato skins. But at the time, it seemed to offer a higher value. You know, it's on the surface, it seems like a more respectable occupation. Not that waiting tables is like, you know prostitution but it is what it is uh also the money was better and my back didn't hurt anymore because i wasn't lugging around loaded potato skins eight hours a night uh but that value between men and women i find was really you know i don't i have no idea if it's true or not but uh it's interesting to think about like why are women why would women be born with value and really, the answer is because they can have babies. Like, that's their value. We don't really need all these men cluttering up the landscape. Biologically, you know, from a Darwinian sense, since one man can get multiple women pregnant. Um, and I understand why feminists would hate this whole argument about value between the sexes. Uh, I think because it, I guess it kind of implies just from that blanket statement that Women are born with value and men have to earn it. Uh, I don't think it implies it, but if a knee-jerk reaction could be that that statement would say that women aren't capable of earning value, that meritocracy doesn't apply to women. Um, but I don't think that's, I don't think, you know, that argument says that. You know, and I don't even know, I'm not even saying I agree with the argument or the assertion, whatever it is, um, because I don't particularly like to think of myself as disposable, but just because I don't like to think of myself as disposable doesn't mean I'm not. Clearly, I'm, I'm disposable.
second wave feminists might be more open to it, I think, from what I understand about the different waves of feminism. Like someone like Camille Paglia, um, she's had some pretty positive things to say about, you know, men who work in the sewer systems and shit like that. You know, just like dangerous, gross, disgusting jobs that like women don't really do. Um, but uh, I think younger third wave feminists, they don't really like Camille Paglia. <laughs> Maybe because she, I don't know, maybe because she's anti-trans or something, I don't know. Although, I, admittedly, I don't really know all the differences between the various waves of feminism. Because at a certain point, it just starts getting ridiculous. Um, but I also don't think the argument precludes women from earning value. It just states that women are born with a base amount of value. So women have a head start in that area. I guess you could say women are born with privilege. <laughs> Just a tiny bit. Uh, and certainly some men are born with value. Maybe if they're going to inherit, you know, wealth and status. Maybe Eric Trump was born with value. Most of the women I know would, would deny it. <laughs> because they hate his dad. But just because you hate someone's dad doesn't mean they don't have value. But just from being in the military, I can... I probably agree with the argument of the majority of men have to earn value and we're not born with value because that's why men join the military in the first place. That's a place where we can, you know, earn value for ourselves, if nothing else. And what if, and I'm just following this line of thought, uh, I'm not making a definite assertion myself, but what if we make our boys play sports and get good grades and do extracurricular activities for two reasons? One, it increases their individual value as they learn skills and increases their likelihood of being successful males in life out in the world. And two, what if also we want to keep boys occupied because unoccupied low-value males tend to destroy shit if we don't harness all that energy into something constructive. That's just what testosterone does for us. Males with no value to themselves or society decrease the value of that society. I mean, that's kind of what the Crusades were all about. They just had all these unoccupied, violent males... Let's round them up and send them to the Holy Land. Like, get them the fuck out of Europe. Because <laughs> they're just breaking shit. And what if, conversely, we make our girls play sports and get good grades and do all the extracurricular shit because we want to keep them from getting getting pregnant too early? I mean, I don't know. I've definitely read studies where they say, you know, Teen girls who are involved in school activities and after-school sports, you know, are less likely to do drugs and get pregnant. And, like, that's the reason we make girls play sports. So they're not getting knocked up. Because for, for some reason, at least in America, a teen girl who gets pregnant has lowered her value objectively i'm sure someone would say no it does it does it lowers their value in most of america but the boy who got her pregnant i don't think he's lowered his value because he didn't have any to begin with he didn't even start with any value he can't really go any lower at most he may have hurt his ability to earn value in the future because now he's got a you know deal with getting this girl pregnant but he hasn't lost any value mostly i'm thinking of one of my cousins who got knocked up when she was 16 and it was a it was a whole lot of silly drama because like they're catholic and then but then when the baby was born always forgiven because everybody loves babies but you know for all of her pregnancy you know my uncle her dad especially was beside himself um so I would say she, you know, 
I doubt her dad would articulate it that way, but um, he'd probably say like she lost value because she didn't wait to have a kid when she was married. But really, 10 years later, she did get married and then she had more babies. So either uh, she got back that value or she never actually lost any value at all. But a lot of it is just perceptions. Do we perceive that some acts make someone lose value? I guess a lot of value is in our perceptions of value. But really, it didn't, you know, because it's not the 50s <laughs> anymore. So it I don't know if it really it didn't hold her back in any meaningful way. And the kid is fucking adorable. You know, really, once you have a cute baby, all is forgiven. Um, so I don't know what my argument was in the first place. This is what you get when you go making unprovable assertions. It's just round and round and round. Really, what I was trying to get at was whether this idea of value unevenly distributed between the sexes has anything at all to do with the drive to do good in the world. So I was wondering that if women are born with value, is that why they seem more concerned with being a good person than men are? Like, are by being a good person, are women trying to confirm their value to themselves? Is that, you know, are they like checking their bank account to make sure that, you know, they're not losing money, they're not losing value? Or they, they want to prove it to others? You know, is it more like a confirmation, reaffirmation thing? And if men are disposable, do we think more in terms of earning value for ourselves is the equivalent of being good or doing good? But now I'm thinking it's probably more of a class thing because I don't remember the single moms working a double shift at TGI Fridays giving a shit if anyone thought they were a good person. They were too busy trying to be like a good mom and pay the rent and feed their kids. So maybe this pursuing goodness thing is really more of like a middle class thing or an upper middle class thing. Because I grew up more working class and I don't remember anybody talking about being a good person or doing good. Everybody was just living hand to mouth mostly worried if uh, their cars were going to get repossessed. And that's why this kind of interests me now because, you know, the last 10 years, 10, 15 years, now I live in bougie Northwest Washington, D.C. You know, I'm surrounded by upper middle class people who have been upper middle class their whole lives and they talk about being good and doing good all the time and most of them are kind of shitty people not most a lot of them are objectively kind of shitty people so i guess i've only heard people who come from privilege you know with soft skill occupations say that they're doing good in the world like journalism public policy, international development, non-profit, non-governmental organizations, you know, facilitating microloans in Indonesia, shit like that. DC shit. Shit that's non-specific, really. You know, it's always like real macro level stuff. Journalists are the fucking worst. <laughs> I'm really starting to just... Someone tells me they're a journalist or they work for a news organization. I just kind of, I can't even talk to them. It's so ridiculous. Uh, yeah, living in D.C. for 15, yeah, I guess it's been 15 years. I've met a fair amount of journalists. And it probably took me 10 years to realize it, but journalists are idiots. I'd always assumed like journalists were smart, you know, fancy people who were interested in the truth. Um, and like they say they are, but being, you know, and it's not that they're not smart, but being smart doesn't prevent you from being an idiot. 
And DC is a town full of just intelligent fools and clever fools. I wouldn't even call a lot of them intelligent. They're clever fools. And journalists are the dumbest of the intelligent fools. Like, they scribble state and corporate propaganda for their Ivy League buddies who work for the government and corporations. That's really all journalists do now. Um, yeah, I remember this a week or two ago reading about this blue, this blue checkmark journalist on Twitter who was, uh, they were sort of crowing or tooting their own, banging their own drum because they were trying to shut down GoFundMe pages for, uh, Capitol rioters for, you know, Trump supporters who had like stormed the Capitol and they'd been arrested and now they have legal fees and they were going on GoFundMe to sort of, you know, raise funds for their legal defense. And this is a, a, a liberal blue checkmark journalist who was getting those GoFundMe pages shut down. And they were getting like, you know, likes, like likes and cheers and hearts for this, for, for actively trying to deny someone who is innocent until proven guilty of a proper legal defense. It's insane to me. How, how is that doing good in the world? If they want to do a GoFundMe page and people want to donate to it, and then they can have a proper legal defense instead of, you know, some overworked public defender who, and that's what's going to happen. If they can't afford to pay for their own lawyer, then me, the taxpayer, has to pay for their shitty lawyer. Like what? How is that doing good in the world? And also, if they have a shitty defense, a, a shitty, you know, or at least not a shitty, but an overworked public defender, and the capital rider loses the case, I got to wonder, did they lose because they were guilty or did they lose because they were poor? Whereas if they can get supporters to give them a decent lawyer to pay for a decent lawyer who gives them, you know, all due diligence and a, and a proper defense in court. And if the court still decides they're guilty, then I'm more assured that they are guilty. <laughs> but no, this journalist had a fucking virtue signal and try to deny someone you know, proper fucking legal defense that we're entitled to in the Constitution. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't like to talk shit about all the women I know because I, I like them, but also I find them ridiculous because they are upper middle, upper middle class and I don't really understand that, that mentality. Um, and I find it absurd and ridiculous. And they're the ones who are constantly talking about being a good person. Although this one blue checkmark journalist who was doing that shit on Twitter. That was a dude. So I can't blame, I don't want to blame it all on women. That was a fucking dude. Um, that was a bitch move for a dude. It really seems to be more of a virtue signaling thing. Um, I think especially for upper middle class women, like, and I guess for the men who do it too, virtue signaling because they're living in fear that someone might accuse them of being privileged. That's a real, real fear for all of them. And I think they're just trying to like build up a, a good person defense. You know, maybe I'm privileged, but I'm a good person. You know, don't cancel me on Twitter. I think a lot of it's that. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know about the value between men and women. I don't know that women are born with value because really the truth is that all value has to be earned. 
You know, it's called proof of work. Something given has no value. Um, and I can't say, I don't value a woman because she's able to have babies. But I guess maybe on a macro society, civilization level, that is a little bit of value someone has given. Um, because civilization has to care about babies because babies are the future. I don't like babies, so I don't care <laughs> about babies or a woman's ability to have them. Um, but I can't speak for civilization. But yeah, something given has no value. So if women are just given value at birth, it's not really value. You know, that's why so many lottery winners go bankrupt. They didn't earn the millions of dollars, so they don't value it. And then they spend it on dumb shit and overextend themselves and go bankrupt. And if you came from a certain amount of wealth and privilege and your parents paid for your fancy college um, and you work or socialize with people who worked their asses off and got to where you are or are even more successful than you are when they didn't have the, quote, value you started with, that'd probably give you a sense of inferiority because you know that a lot of the value you have, you didn't earn. So how do you justify it? You can be nebulously doing good in the world, you know, to sort of convince yourself you actually do have value. And it's not just people. Corporations and governments obsess over the appearance of doing good in order to maintain the illusion of their value, you know, like literally so they don't get fewer votes or their stock prices don't tank. You know, so Amazon and Apple and the NBA can support Black Lives Matter while they can simultaneously lobby Congress to ignore forced labor camps in China. Is that doing good in the world? Or the New York Times can hammer China on their forced labor camps. But when's the last time they did a piece on what's happening in Gaza? Or Libya? Or Syria? Or the open-air slave markets in... Oh, that's in Libya. What was I thinking of? Yemen. Fucking shit that's going on in Yemen. I don't hear a lot about that. Those things might upset their subscriber base. Especially when you start talking about shit in Gaza. So instead, they'll do an occasional piece on Myanmar because shit is fucked up there, but no one in the Western Hemisphere has any skin in that game. So that's, that's a safe injustice to report on. MSNBC can pat itself on the back for calling Trump a liar. While me, uh, meanwhile, one of its regular contributors... One event, an employee of MSNBC is John Brennan, who was the director of the CIA. But they're, they're called calling Trump a liar. So that's fine. Never mind. You just have fucking government spooks working for you. But then again, the CIA is woke now. The CIA is woke as fuck. Just take a look at their website. Go ahead. Google CIA.gov and take a look at their website. Oh, my God. They must be doing good in the world. The only white guy you'll see on the CIA website is the current director of the CIA. His name is uh, Director Strady McWhiteface Jr. Third, Esquire. Every other photo are, is, are black, brown, Asian millennials and one or two obvious white lesbians and one or two white trans people. And uh, I guess that's that's all who works at the CIA now. The CIA looks like a Silicon Valley tech startup now. Of course, in reality, none of those lovely people in the photos on the CIA website actually work there. They are really just wannabe actors and models who showed up to a non-union casting call in Falls Church, Virginia and got paid $100 for a 12-hour photo shoot. I did a couple of those years ago. 
<laughs> I know exactly how that shit works. I did a sexual harassment video for the FBI. Uh, I did a couple of those things. <laughs> Nobody on those websites actually works there. Uh, but the CIA must be doing good in the world because look at how they support minorities and uh, gay people and trans folks. The bastards in charge always use the word folks because they think it makes them more personable. So we can all sleep safe in our beds knowing that America's flying death robots aren't remotely controlled by piece of shit straight white dudes. I am surprised the CIA is like supporting lesbians though because if you're really woke, if you're like 2021 woke, you're not supposed to like lesbians anymore. Now if a young girl wants to smush some puss with another girl... She has to call herself queer now. If you call yourself a lesbian, people attack you for being anti-trans. I know, it's weird. Why? I don't know. I'm a straight white dude. How would I know? This is just shit I've been reading. That's just how it is. There's only three actual lesbians left in America. And they all live at a ranch in Montana with seven alpacas and a three-legged pony. I'm suspicious of anyone claiming to do good in the world. Stalin and Hitler both made that claim. So did Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush Jr., Obama, Trump. And presently the world is on the way to being simultaneously underwater and on fire. There's something called the theory of moral licensing which basically just says, when you do good, you give yourself license to be bad. And there's two versions of it. There's the moral credentials, which basically means I'm a good person, so when I act ambiguously, it's more likely to be good than bad. And then there's also the moral credits mechanism. I've built up a savings account with good behavior, so I can afford to make a small withdrawal with some bad behavior. There's a great quote by John Milton, which is, evil is the force which believes its knowledge is complete. Meaning, in this context, how can any of us be certain what is good? What is good? Bad is a little easier murder, theft, rape. You'd really have to do, you'd really have to dance a linguistic jig to justify those three. Theft might be the easiest, you know, you could equivocate. Um, what about death? Is death bad? Or life? What sort of life? I mean, for most of us, Puppy life is good. Black mold life is bad. What is good? Biden and Kamala promised to make the cages that we put migrant children in a little bit nicer. Is that good? I don't know. Sort of almost sounds good. But then you still got kids in cages. Last year in D.C. during the, uh, the Black Lives Matter protests, Trump ordered federal police to shoot tear gas and flashbang grenades at protesters in Lafayette Square so he could then stage a photo op with the Bible. And it was a big scandal. Big scandal. Lefty mainstream media was all over it as a clear example of Trumpian authoritarianism. But... Just this past week, after a year-long independent investigation into that incident, it turns out that that narrative was a lie. The scary-sounding scary federal agents were just the National Park Police, which are technically federal police, but most of the time their job is security of the National Zoo, which... 
once or twice a year there is a shooting at. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, and then aside from that, they just kind of clean up roadkill around Rock Creek Park, you know, picking up dead raccoons and deer and shit. So the park police did clear the protesters out of Lafayette Square with tear gas, but they did it to put up anti-climb fencing around the statues that the protesters had damaged. Um, and I would say that's bad. Like, just because you want to put up some fences, I don't know if that's a reason to tear gas people. Especially since I think statues of people are ridiculous. There's no historical figure that is so amazing that we need to idolize them in stone and bronze. I mean, I don't hate statues. They just don't need to be of people. But the park police clearing the protesters out of Lafayette Square had nothing to do with Trump at the time. Hours later... Trump did show up to Lafayette Square to stage an absurd photo op where he held the Bible upside down, but he only chose Lafayette Square because it was already clear of protesters. It had been cleared hours before by the park police. So the two events were independent, tenuously related, but Trump did not order the police to clear out the protesters so he could do the photo op as was the narrative a year ago. And then, again, I would say that's bad. You know, Trump showing up to stage a stupid photo op. It was bad and stupid. But for me, far worse than either of those two separate events, the clearing out of the protesters and then the later subsequent photo op, is that the national media whose objective is supposedly pursuing truth, would shameless, shamelessly push a fictional version of the events in order to vilify a president that they don't like. I never liked Trump much either. If nothing else than that, he was proven incompetent. But it was never necessary to elevate Trump to Hitler-level infamy to prove how incompetent he is. Did CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times and the Washington Post do good with their little lie? Their ratings have tanked since Biden's been in office, which is probably why the White House correspondent I know is still covering Trump. She's not even writing about Biden. Like, that's her beat, is the White House. She's not writing about Biden, who was actually in the White House. She's still writing about Trump six months later, chasing those clicks because Trump gets clicks and Biden does not. And I'm sure all those news organizations console themselves with the fiction that they got Trump out of office. You know, we told a lie, but it was worth it for democracy. But that's a lie too, because Biden didn't beat Trump. COVID beat Trump. And I'm not saying the election was stolen. Calm down. Just calm the fuck down. I'm sure the election was very fair. But Biden didn't beat Trump. COVID beat Trump. Although, if another credible independent investigation proves otherwise, proves that the election was stolen, that would be hilarious. If that happens, two-thirds of the people I know should probably commit ritual suicide. You know, like they're dishonored samurai. But they won't. They'll, they'll justify it to themselves somehow and then go out and adopt another autistic puppy to reassure themselves how good they are. I guess the last hour or so, it sounds like I think all the people I know are assholes. <laughs> and that's not true. I, I definitely do know a few people 
who I would say are truly doing good in the world. But they would never describe themselves that way.